0: Now, enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston.
1: The title of the message today is How to Lower Stress in Our Life. In this busy day and age, stress has a serious impact on our lives. One third of Americans live with what has been categorized as extreme stress. of Americans claim that money and work are the main causes of stress according to the American Psychological Association. Some of the most stressful events in our lives include death of a spouse, divorce, marital separation, a jail term, death of another family member, and illness or injury. And there are several common reactions to stress. Many try to flee the problem that they are having, such as changing jobs, bosses, or environment, in the hope that the irritation will go away. However, stress is not something caused on the outside. It is something caused inside you. When we get under stress, we blame our circumstances and the people around us. But they are not the cause of stress. Stress is the response or the reaction to our circumstances. You could put two people in the exact same circumstances, and one will be stressed out and the other is not why it is the way you think about it. I want to mention today three kinds of stress that we are all familiar with. And the first is the stress of compromise. The stress of compromise. You have this all the time. It is when you are pressured to do something you don't want to do or when you are pressured to do something you know is the wrong thing to do. When you were in school, this was called peer pressure. Do you remember the first time you were pressured to smoke or to uh, to drink alcohol or to have sex? You had a choice to make and at that moment you were under stress. We have this today in the business world. Am I going to put people over profits? Am I going to tell the truth and lose a sale? Or tell a lie and make a sale? Ethical decisions confront us every day. As parents, students, and as professionals. So what are we going to do? Number one, do the right thing. Do the right thing. In the short term, it may seem like doing the easy thing, believing that it is easier, but in the long term, doing the right thing is always easier and less stressful. Why? Because when you do something wrong, you carry the guilt or fear of being found out. You start wondering, will I ever get caught? And that creates stress. Here's how the devil works in our life. Mm -hmm. He wants to make us miserable, so before we do something that's lacking integrity, he will say, nobody is going to find out. Go ahead and do this.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And the moment you do it, he says, everybody is going to find out. Everybody is going to know about this. Mm -hmm. And you're immediately under tension wondering if the skeleton is going to come out of the closet. And that causes stress. When you do the right thing in the short term, you won't have stress in the long term. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 9, people with integrity have a firm footing, but those who follow crooked paths will slip and fall. See, people who don't have integrity will slip and fall. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's not a maybe. What you sow, you will reap. What goes around, comes around. If you cheat other people, you are going to get cheated. If you are dishonest, people are going to be dishonest to you. So Solomon says, if you follow a crooked path, you're going to slip and fall. That's going to cause stress. On the other hand, if you show integrity, you have a firm footing. And one of the products of integrity is confidence. You don't have to remember who you lied to. You just tell the truth. And few things destroy Integrity faster than greed When money enters the picture People tend to throw out their values Their integrity And everything else In order to get more One of the fundamental decisions We have to make in life Is what's more important Truth or things And Washington probably could Needs to hear this He said those are the options Truth or things If truth is more important, then when you come to a compromising situation, you're going to do the right thing. If things are more important, you will give up truth. You lie in order to get more money, to save money, or to make money. If you want to lower the stress in compromising situations, the first thing you do is always do the right thing no matter what anyone else says about it. People don't like people who say this is right and this is wrong. No one wants to hear that what they're doing is wrong. But the only way to not be criticized in life is to do nothing, be nothing and say nothing. People are going to judge your motives, misjudge your reasons, put down your methods, and say critical things about you. So, but don't worry about it. Don't get stressed out about it. Just trust the Lord and look to his future for you. But there's a second kind of stress that some of you are quite familiar with. is the stress of conflict. The stress of conflict. Because we're all different, because God made every one of us different, we all get into conflict or conflicting situations. Conflict is never fun. It's always tough. Nobody really likes it. In fact, if you like conflict, then you probably need to see a therapist or psychologist. (laughs) Unfortunately, most of us never learn the tools and skills of conflict management. We don't learn them from our parents. We don't learn them in school. So we go through life not really knowing how to confront and resolve issues effectively. In fact, a lot of times when we get into a conflict, we make matters worse by the things we do. We take a little thing and blow it into a big thing. I'm sure none of you have ever done that. But the Bible gives us a lot of advice on conflict management. There are... Many, many principles in scripture on how to resolve conflicts with your boyfriend, girlfriend, parents, children, spouse, other people, and even your enemies. So, let me mention two that are great stress relievers when you go through conflict. First is change your focus, change your focus. That means intentionally switch your focus. Switch your focus from your needs to the other person's needs. Switch from looking at your situation from your point of view to looking at the other person's situation from their point of view. And I'm convinced that the secret of conflict resolution starts with understanding where the other person is coming from. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 6, When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. And the New Living Translation puts it like this, your attitude should be the same that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights. So, underline rights. You see, in in America today, we are taught to stand up for our rights. But um, as believers, we need to to recognize that when we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, we committed our rights to him. Because he gave his life for us, you give your life to him. And when you do that, you give him all your needs, all your hurts, and all your rights. You say, God, I give you all the rights to my life. Now, how do you know when you have taken your rights back? There is a real warning light. It's called anger. Anytime you get angry, it's a big warning light that you have taken back the rights you have given to God. You say, I have a right to this. I deserve to be treated in this way. Well, what do you mean you have a right? You gave your rights to God when you became a believer. When you gave your rights to God, he said, I will assume responsibility for them. I will be your defender. I'll be your fulfiller. Either You can fulfill your own needs or you can let God do it. Who can do a better job? Who can be a better defender? You or God? The answer is clear. So, in conflicting situations, the second thing is you need to watch your words. You need to watch your words. How many relationships have been destroyed because of a careless word spoken in the heat of anger during a conflict? Words do hurt. The Bible is very clear that there are some verbal weapons that you should never use as a believer. There are certain words, certain weapons that if you pull them out in your relationship with whoever you're assuring destruction of that relationship. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 4, 29, 31, and 32. Paul says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Get rid of all bitterness Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior, instead to be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. you. See, God says those verbal weapons, foul and abusive language, are out of bounds for us as believers. The world can do it, but you should not do it. You are different. So don't use foul or abusive language, no matter how mad or upset you are. Because all that it's going to do is to make things worse. There's a third kind of stress that we all have to deal with, and that is the stress of competition the stress of competition. In America, because we are in a competitive culture, from birth, we are taught to compete with each other. As babies, we compete for attention. In grade school, we compete for grades, for honors and recognition, and to be first in line to the cafeteria. (laughs) We compete for promotions in business, We compete to be number one. And the problem is, there aren't enough spots for everybody to be number one. So it leaves most of the world pretty miserable. Hmm. So how do you reduce the stress of competition in your life? The Bible gives us some practical steps. One, stop comparing. Stop the habit of comparing yourself to other people. Of course, this is America's favorite indoor sport. We love to compare kids, you name it, and we compare it. In fact, there are top ten lists for literally everything in our society today. Who's the best and who's the worst dressed, and on and on. But here are two reasons why it is foolish to compare yourself to anyone else. You are unique. There's nobody like you in the world. So you can't really compare yourself. God custom-designed you to be you. He doesn't want you to be anybody else. God specifically chose what genetic material would make you up. God wants you to be you. Every time you go around and start comparing inevitably, you're going to start competing. When you compare, you always find somebody that's doing a better job than you are doing, and you get discouraged, depressed, and think, I'll never be that. Or you always find people who you are doing a better job than, and you get full of pride. Look how good I am. Either way, you have a big problem. God says, don't do it. Don't compare your husbands, your wives, your kids, your your jobs, or even your cars. Because you are unique. Nobody else can be you. So why would you want to be anybody else? That's a dramatic stress reliever. But the second reason you shouldn't compare is... It makes you miserable. It makes you miserable. It is a source of all envy and bitterness. Nothing depreciates your car faster than your next-door neighbor getting a new one. You look and you say, what a piece of junk I have. (laughs) So stop comparing. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4, Let everyone... Be sure to do his very best, for then he will have the personal satisfaction of work done well and won't need to compare himself with someone else. You see, you don't have to be the best. You just have to do your best. When you get to heaven, God isn't going to say, Were you the best? No, he's going to say, Did you do your best? Given the circumstances, the talents, the abilities, the opportunities that I gave you, did you do your best? Now the second stress reliever in competing uh, situations is remember God's love is unconditional. Remember God's love is unconditional. God loves us unconditionally. It is not based on our performance of how good we are, where God loves us. You don't have to prove that you are somebody because God already says you're somebody. You don't have to prove it to yourself, to your parents, your neighbors, uh, your, your friends. God has already uh, told you that you are special, you are important. Recognize God's unconditional love. There are many verses in the Bible on this point, but I I like Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Where Paul says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So question, when did God start loving you? When you got it all together and you're perfect, no, you still don't have it together. So God won't wait until you have it together. So when did God start loving you? When you promised that you would never sin again? No, that's a promise you will break. So when did God start loving you? While we were still sinners... In the midst of the worst thing you have ever done, God was loving you then because his love is unconditional based on his grace. I read an interesting story about a guy who died and gets to heaven and he goes up to St. Peter and and Peter says, let's take the, the test to let you in. And the guy says, test? I, I don't know... I did not know there was a test. Huh. Oh, yeah, you have to get 100 points, said Peter. <laughs> oh, I didn't know this is a really a surprise. So Peter says, Tell me what you've done on earth. And the guy said in a very prideful way, I served for 20 years with Mother Teresa in the streets of Calcutta. And Peter says, Okay, one point. Uh-huh. One point? What else have you done? Peter asked. The guy says, I raised six kids who all ended up being missionary doctors. Okay, one point. One point? That took half my life to get that done. Anything else you have done? The man said, before I died, I willed my entire estate to my church to be used for feeding the poor and the hungry. And Peter says, Great, one point. Uh-huh. And the man says, I'm sure not going to make it into heaven. <laughs> All I've got left, he said, is the grace of God. And Peter says, Bingo, one hundred points. <laughs> is this is only is the only way we are going to make it into heaven, yeah. not on our goodness, not on our ability to to be perfect. It is only by trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. And his grace can transform our tears into triumphs, yes, yes. it can transform our gloom into glory, our weakness into strength, or barrenness into fruitfulness, or wars into worship and our heartaches into hallelujahs. Mm. No wonder John Newton called it amazing grace, yeah. and Halder Lilanus calls it the wonderful grace of Jesus. Yeah. And in the chorus of that hymn, it says, Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street, at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617 617- 617